This is episode 208 of G.I. Joeberg. My name is Steve, and this is the Snake Eyes G.I. Joe Origins movie review. Yep, we're gonna be getting into it, firstly with the non-spoilers, and then the spoilers. I'm actually sitting in the cinema, moments away from watching it, and fortunately, I'm not alone. Fresh from Sergeant Slaughter Slaughterhouse, it's Sazel Phoenix. Rockin' the Sarge hat. Outstanding. Um, <laughs> opening <laughs> remarks, there could be more Sarge in this movie. That would if, suit you just fine. I would. It could be 100% Sarge the movie with a cameo by Snake Eyes, and I would love that. Oh, man, if and only. Well, catch us on the flip, guys. We'll be coming at you with a review in mere moments. Here we go. So not even an hour has elapsed since the credits rolled, and I have to admit, at this point, the biggest feeling I'm experiencing has got to be relief because Snake Eyes G.I. Joe Origins is not a bad film. It's not bad. It's not bad. I don't know. I don't know. I didn't go into it with any expectations. I knew it was a Hollywood action movie based on something that I enjoyed as a child. And that can always be hit and miss. So I didn't want to. I didn't want to come in with any emotions. I checked my emotions at the door, and I came out feeling good about it. I went one step further, Zazel. I set my expectations below the basement. Like I was expecting it to be shit, for the simple reason that both previous GI Joe live action films, which I watched in preparation for this, just reminded me how far wrong Hollywood got it. Like, two strikes, basically. They made two G.I. Joe live-action films that really played down to the audience. It, it, it talked down to the audience. Right. It treated us like children. You know, it, it acknowledged that this was a toy property and never set the bar any higher than making action figures, you know, smash together on the screen. Having said that, Snake Eyes does not the movie does not have any action figure moments like the rise of cobra had those accelerator suits which were an obvious uh pull to get the action figures going uh advertised it as a kids movie it's a bit of action there but snake eyes never once did i think okay this is to sell toys there was nothing there that just seemed outwardly too extreme uh, the story came first, I guess, right. is, is what, what what you're trying to say. Like, this wasn't a case of, like, let's push toys first and weave a storyline around that. I feel like the origin story was in the driving seat of why people did what they did. And to that end, like, in a broad stroke, and this... this section of the review will be non-spoilers. We'll put in time codes in the description below if you want to jump um, around a bit. Like, if you want to avoid the spoilers completely, because there will be spoilers later, uh, we'll have that time coded and tell you well in advance to stop listening uh, in case you wanted to go in without anything spoiled. But I would say that this film definitely placed character motivations and their journey at the forefront you you get a sense that they they thought they thought it through they put an idea forward for what they wanted to achieve by the end and then worked it 
I guess with fluidity to get to those to those moments. There was no there was no moment in the movie where I felt uh, out of place. Like I, it didn't seem like anything was dropped in there unnecessarily. You know, it was pretty it was, lean. It, yes, yeah, you can say it was lean. <laughs> <laughs> very lean storytelling um, and a delightfully low stakes kind of film. Whereas right. the first live action GI Joe films were literally the fate of the world hanging in the balance. This was a very personal story. It 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 lives up to its surtitle of being an origins movie by showing the titular character Snake Eyes is where he situates himself at the beginning of his story and his arc is completed by the time we reach the end. He has gone through a gamut of of emotions and switching of um, his motivations. Uh, and at no point did I feel like anything was particularly strained. I thought, yeah, I buy it. I buy what this man is going through. Yeah, it's a it's a movie about family more than anything else. I think that's the theme. The theme is family. Fast and the Furious 9. Wait, wait right. <laughs> <laughs> no, oh gosh. But... It's uh yeah I don't know that's that's their theme their theme is family and they when you build something around something that you know most people have a connection to whether it be a positive experience or a negative experience uh you can relate to to family being a driving force whereas you might not be able to relate to global disaster well actually we probably can relate to global disaster <laughs> yeah we're living through it right uh yeah this is a chop socky film it is situating itself squarely in a martial arts movie genre. So take it or leave it. It's, it's definitely uh, not the guns blazing G.I. Joe flavored adventure that, that the previous outings have been. And in so doing, the martial arts makes sense. I must say that in, in previous outings, when you are dealing with global terrorist organizations and very well-armed counter-terrorist units that have tanks and planes and helicopters and massive weapons two guys running around clashing swords together seem horribly out of place but when you dial the focus back to make it essentially a martial arts story dealing with a martial arts dojo a ninja clan a secret uh, organization hidden hidden in the, the mountains of japan like then it suddenly becomes uh, far more uh, fitting to have these encounters and to that end i've got to congratulate the the stunt coordinator the fight choreographers uh for delivering this sumptuous chop socky film like I, I i have to lean into the fact that the the martial arts was pretty good for a martial arts movie the martial arts were <laughs> top notch uh and that can be you know they, i don't think that it was over the top this was not matrix level uh unbelievable martial arts skill i believed that for the most part when they were scaling something if they were jumping over something if they were landing somewhere i believed that that person could do it mm. uh, when it came time for sword play you didn't question whether or not a gun was going to be the better option in this scenario it was just swords flying and it was just popcorn worthy martial arts entertainment and beautifully shot as well. I have to 
just pour some kind of compliments on the cinematography of the piece. Even the alleyways had great contrast and colours to them. <laughs> like, every every scene that they had in Tokyo, it was like, I don't know, like a... A new retro wave synth pop right. wet dream. Exactly that. And the neon even... lights, rain. I mean, it, it was sumptuous filmmaking. Frame for frame, beautifully shot. It was thick with imagery. And there was even... I believe that there are no dark alleyways uh at, at that location it's uh yeah narrow streets and then you you flip the the script and move into very kind of rural Japan, japanese settings you know up in the hills forested um walks in dawn and dusk settings everything kind of dim and moist like <laughs> god i can never i can never say that word with a straight face let's just say um dim and and wet like it fresh from from an evening of rain um beautiful i just come back to the point i made earlier and that's my overwhelming emotion at the moment is one of relief because i went in expecting it to be piss poor and most of us are we're all dyed in the wool wool gi joe fans from day one lifelong fans who who ask the question of hollywood that if they're not going to tell the canonical Snake Eyes story that we all know like the back of our hands, then they better have a damn good substitute. Mm. And I know this might cost me credits in many people's eyes, um, might even cost me listeners and subscribers, but I think they happen to find a damn good story. I think they have a way of telling the story, and then right when you think you know where it's going... It flips it, but not in a way that, and I, and I hate the term, uh, subverts expectations because we already had expectations going in. So they're either going to do the exact thing you want them to do, or they're going to do a variation of that or something that's completely different. And I feel like in this instance, it was, they, they gave you a hint of what you want to see. They put scenarios out there. And then if you think you know where it's going to go, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was pleasantly surprised by the fact that there's a G.I. Joe story to be told that is surprising to me. Because we're finally seeing Snake Eyes' initial, I suppose, uh, reception at the Arashikage Dojo. His training, the way they test him, and his kind of inception into this cult, I guess... Um, all of that stuff is kind of fresh to me. We got glimpses of it in, you know, issues 26 and 27 of the original ARA. Uh, we've always had it referenced in other animation um, endeavors like Resolute. Um, and again, in the live action films. But it was always just lip service. It was always these little vignettes, these, like, we're cutting back to a scene in the past of the Rush Kage Dojo to quickly cram in Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow's motivations. But here, they take the time with it because they don't have a pressing other story that needs telling. It literally is all about Snake Eyes, what makes him tick, and the characters nearest and dearest to him. Well, I'm always wary of any movie with origins in the title. <laughs> 
always, always wary. In fact, I can't for the life of me think of anything good that starts with rise of or has origins in it. But I honestly can't... What, you didn't like Rise of Silver Surfer? Oh, no. X-Men Origins Wolverine. Mm. Yeah, I see your point, sir. Well done. So, and, and, but having said that, I'm glad that they didn't try to shoehorn this origin into a G.I. Joe movie. And what I hope they do moving into the G.I. Joe movies is that I hope they don't give too much of a flashback to this movie. I want to see it move forward. Mm. Uh, touch base on it because there should be things that need to be touched on. But just keep the momentum, keep the momentum going. And I think that had they tried to shoehorn Snake Eyes, his origin story at the beginning, or weaved through a G.I. Joe movie, it would have taken away some of the impactful moments that this movie had. Of course, the next movie has to deal with the Sarge, right? Simple yeah, put. well, I mean, <laughs> I don't know how. <laughs> I don't know. Well, well, we'll get into spoiler territory soon enough, but... Uh, uh, without without uh, giving away too much, unfortunately, no. Sergeant Slaughter does not make a cameo in this movie. Uh, but I feel like you know, I feel like there are there are moments that could warrant a good Sergeant Slaughter cameo. Speaking of cameos, Sergeant Slaughter does have a cameo account now for those that want to go in. Shameless plug for my boy Sarge. He knows his he knows his number one fan. <laughs> <laughs> okay, performances. Was there some weakness in the cast, or do you think everyone kind of nailed their role? So I think for the most part, everyone acted their well, their part well, but I think everybody had one of those cringeworthy face palm situations or expressions or catchphrases or whatever poses. <laughs> I Which... think I mentioned to you in the cinema that like it was probably a late edition. Like, they got to set and literally someone said, oh, we really need to work in a yo-jo at some point. Right. And oh through gritted teeth, <laughs> you know, the director pulled the, the script writer aside and said, hmm, what do you think? And I'm, they're like, I yeah, never okay. Thought, I never thought that I would ever utter the words, that was a limp yo-jo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was, it was almost like, did, did he just say that? Yeah, it seemed a bit apologetic. Um, I'm not quite sure what the the, the re what was the overriding reason for that. Like, was it was it fan service, or was it just to to kind of hammer home the fact that this is a GI Joe movie? So yes, someone's going to say Yo Joe at some point. Look, for my part, Henry Golding, magnificent work. I once again, it might cost cost me listeners and subscribers, but I'm going to say that I am on board with him taking up the mantle of Snake Eyes for the foreseeable future. You know, th there are various readings of where this character can take can be taken. Uh, at his outset, Snake Eyes was the Avatar character, the character that we could all imprint upon because he was classified. He didn't have a file name or a birthplace. He didn't have a face at that point. You know, we've, we've got the story part and parcel that had kind of been teased for a number of years before Larry finally tipped his hand and committed to something. But I am very interested to see where this goes because it humanizes him in ways that we never really got to see uh, before. It gives him, it actually sullies Snake Eyes a little bit. You know, it, it makes him a far more complex character because he's not the most honorable, pure of heart, true blue hero. 
uh, which no. is very, very interesting. All of a sudden, there is a dimension to Snake Eyes that has never been part of the Snake Eyes mythology. He might dress in black and have a name that fits um, an agent of Cobra more than an agent of G.I. Joe, but he was always super duper beyond question. Uh, now we've got some more interesting depth to the Snake Eyes mythology. And, and while we're talking about performances, <laughs> did you feel like Henry's uh, accent was kind of uh, a little bit wishy-washy? In I and think out? it was in and out. Yeah, in and out. It was definitely... Um, there were moments where he fell out of whatever accent he was trying to portray. Yeah, uh, and yeah, you just hit the nail on the head with that one. It was definitely in and out. Which perhaps speaks to the international nature of this character. Like he's not, he he probably had an upbringing all over the all over the world before we we catch up to him as an adult. That's possible. That is a possibility. Similarly, uh, Scarlet, I found her accent to not be convincingly general North American. Certainly not um, southern. Southern. No. 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 She was no Southern Belle. Um. But but GI Joe in this continuity. Uh, I think once again they're they're going with the international angle uh, uh, from Rise of Cobra. True, uh, and as an Australian, I am all for the uh, international hero part of GI Joe. Uh-huh. Have always loved that part of it, where you know we didn't have a lot of people that as Australians could imprint on uh, as far as characters were concerned, unless they were dreadnoughts. But Sky Mate, but we got Sky Mate, and yeah, he's, mate. Uh, <laughs> he's one of ours. So a yeah. pink trucker hat, yeah. The glider. Yeah, well, you know, Sky Mate's a boomerang. <laughs> I've never felt so attacked on a podcast before. You know, he's got kangaroos on his <laughs> glider. Does he? I know he's got a kangaroo on his hat. I think that this is does kangaroo. Does, um, maybe I'm misremembering. Throw a picture up and <laughs> prove me wrong. <laughs> um, as far as uh, I will touch on Andrew Koji as Storm Shadow, I, I believed his emotional. Um, moments i believed you know he had passion and up until a certain point he had full believability yeah he was he was fast becoming my favorite character in the snake eyes movie far and away my favorite of the sporting cast has got to be peter mensa as the blind master i oh, i mean i know the ball was set perhaps a little bit low with rizza in uh, retaliation right but yes. peter mensa was incredible such Gravitas is the word, I suppose. But, like, I bought him, yeah, every line, every gesture, every appearance. He just had the look of someone who would be so proficient in the martial arts, he doesn't even need his sight. He sees your truth without seeing. Right. Well, I mean, as cool as uh, Blind Master was, I was on the side of the Hard Master. <laughs> I'm Team Hard Master. Uh, I'm going to try and pronounce his name. Is it Iko Uwais? Uwais? Look, I've I heard butchered. it pronounced Iko Uwais, but who's Perfect. to say that's correct? I don't. Well, I don't know, but I do know that uh, as the hard master, he definitely uh, won me over if, if I had to side with either one of those two. I think that guy, yeah, he can hold his own. Nice. Uh, one other note. I do love the fact that not a single drop of petroleum was burned <laughs> in the making of this production. No, this was this was not a Michael Bay film. 
the joke, if you haven't seen it yet, is there is a lot of use of electric bikes mm. and electric cars. And it sounds like it too. Well, it is Tokyo of 2020 or 20X, whatever whatever year this is supposed to be set in. Um, it's, yeah, it's it, I buy it. It just is a strange thing to see a ninja jump onto a motorcycle and not hear... Instead, it's like... Yeah, yeah. It sounds like a puppy snoring. <laughs> it's it's a bit of a non-secretary and it's going to take some getting used to, but... But hey, we're living in the future, baby. Alright, shall we get into some spoilers? Let's do it. Listener, turn back now if you don't want to have some pretty major spoilers uh, spilt on the show. For good or for ill, here we go. Um, Zez, you're gonna have to keep me honest here. I'm gonna try and do a plot summary as quickly as possible. Yeah, if I, if I come off the rails, you'll save me, right? Oh, well, let's see how good my memory is. <laughs> so we open with uh, a scene set 20 years ago. Um, a young boy and his father are pushing their broken down motorcycle. Hey! Well, there it goes. No petroleum was burned. <laughs> None was used. <laughs> the, the bike was not functioning. Uh, they're pushing it through the woods. Ostensibly, they're on the run, and they're going to a safe house, a cabin, uh, in the mountains somewhere. Uh, we get a sense of foreboding. It's clear that they're, they're trying to get away from something. Turns out this is young Snake Eyes and his father, and a killer, who's in, in the employ of Cobra, has tracked Daddy down. Because Daddy is a G.I. Joe. One of the early members of G.I. Joe, probably recruited directly by Joe Colton, Anyways, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop you there for a second. Ooh. At no point uh, during this opening scene do we know that Cobra are on their tail, and we do not know that the father is a GI Joe at this point. Mm. So uh, the only thing that we do know is through a small bit of dialogue, uh, young Snake Eyes uh, mishears what his father has said on on the phone one night and asks uh, pretty much what a, what is what is a safe house. Um, in a childish sort of way, uh, asks if, you know, there is an actual safe uh, at the cabin, <laughs> to which his father just lies and says that that's another word for cabin is safe house. So we know that they're going to a safe house. We don't know why. We don't know uh, that there's any G.I. Joe or Cobra involvement at this point. Thanks, man. I mean, that was perhaps a bit of clunky dialogue right up front. Uh, I did not like that one bit, but... Uh, yeah, that, that sent alarm bells uh, for me when, he's, when he said that he overheard his father <laughs> say they were going to a safe house. Uh, the child looked old enough to understand precisely right. what a safe house mm. was. But anyways, um, back to the synopsis. Um, so it turns out father is tracked down and tries to get Snake Eyes to, to hide. But of course... Snake Eyes sees the killers arrive, tries to intervene, fails, runs away, and, well, it is pr pretty evident that Father gets gunned down. We hear the shot, we see the body, the cabin is burned. We've missed one giant piece of information, is that he actually gets his code name from a scene uh, just before the father dies. He's asked to roll a dice, and if he wins uh, on, the, on the dice roll, then he lives. If he loses... Uh, then he dies, and he rolls Snake Eyes. Turns out later we find out that these dice are loaded, uh, and they were always going to roll Snake Eyes. Mm, so this particular Cobra agent, I mean, 
Whoever he is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he, uh, he, he's got like a bit of a, a Harvey Dent two-face approach to do- dealing out his vengeance or his, his, his brutal justice. What do you call it? Killing a person. Killing a person. Yeah? Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's all decided on the roll of a loaded dice. Anyways. We flash forward 20 years and turns out uh, Snake Eyes is now some kind of pit fighter. And he's fighting Road Pig. <laughs> yeah, I thought the same thing. When he picked up that hammer, I was like, this is a total uh, Road Pig moment. Uh, to a lesser extent, Toll Booth. But uh, he's he either decided that he was going to get his ass kicked and then come back and fight. Or he loved the feeling of getting the utter beat out of him. Because he did not start off like he knew what he was doing. He got, at one point... He should have had his skull cracked. Totally. Uh, when he went headfirst into a uh, what was a concrete pillar. Yeah. Uh, and then get getting stomped on basically by yeah. this very heavy set dude. Look, uh, this opening scene very quickly establishes firstly that he can take a huge beating because we know Snake Eyes just loves um, getting severely injured. <laughs> Would have been a great cameo for Logan though. It's very much the uh, the it's first, first X Men movie. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's it is Wolverine's origin. <laughs> cage, no, yeah, cage fight, pit fight. Um, I mean, what are the stakes? Like, we don't even know what they're fighting for. He just is the reigning champion. It comes out later after he wipes the mat with this um, this bruiser that Snake Eyes has yet to lose a fight, and he's approached by what we. Th- think is a sort of high-ranking Yakuza member mm. called Kenta and asked to join his cause. I suppose just as an enforcer. He's looking to recruit and Snake Eyes is the man for the job. Kenta has some information that sweetens the pot and coerces Snake Eyes to join him. Kenta apparently has information on who Snake Eyes's father's killer is. So naturally Snake Eyes follows the rabbit hole and is now a uh, an employee of the Japanese mob working in LA, gutting fish and inserting um, submachine guns into them. Right, and just before that, he makes his first... I guess he. this is where we first meet Storm Shadow, Tommy. Because uh, he's also there at this uh, factory, fish gutting factory. And he calls... When he first sees Snake Eyes, he calls him Fish Boy? Is that right? Fish Boy, yeah. right. He calls him Fish Boy. Uh, so their their first interaction that we see uh, is uh, that he's given Snake Eyes the name Fish Boy, and that's their that's their connection. And as Snake Eyes puts it, he needs to get uh, fresher jokes because apparently he gets called that quite a bit. So uh, yeah, that's our first that's our first uh, introduction of the of the dynamic between Storm Shadow and Snake Eyes is the uh, Fish Boy remark. Of course, Kenta shows up and exposes the fact that Storm Shadow is a member of the Arashikage clan and is therefore a spy and wants him done away with because Kenta is a dishonored former member of the Arashikage. He and Storm Shadow, or Tommy, were both heirs to the the leadership of the family, but there can be only one, and that one was going to be Tommy. So Kenta... Kenta tried to kill Tommy. Right. Um, Tommy decided... Well, it was... They, Tommy was given the responsibility of deciding his fate. Mm-hmm. And he decided... To banish him. Just, yeah, banish him out. 
but of course, Tommy regards this as a mistake because now Kenta's activities are no good. He's up. He's up to no good. So Tommy's on his on his on his um, on his trail. But of course, Kenta's noticed this and wants to have him done away with, killed. Uh, Snake Eyes, however, refuses to be to play executioner and spares Tommy's life. So we've missed we've missed a we've missed a valuable piece of information here where Tommy Tommy is instructed to go and 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 I actually had a little bit of a problem with this scene. So as it as it was said, uh, it later turns out that Tommy is related to the person who owns this uh, operation, but for some reason is just sitting around in the open as if he's working there. Uh, but is actually not actually seen working there. So he seems like he's actually some sort of, he's higher up than just the gutters at least because it gives them, you know, a flack for doing it. <laughs> and then he is asked personally, Tommy is asked personally to collect snake eyes to bring to the boss. Uh, alarm bell still not going off at this point. So he literally brings, uh, at this point, uh, nobody knows who's in trouble, but they know one of them is. Uh, and then they're brought before the, the boss, uh, both Tommy and Snake Eyes. And it's at that point that we realize that uh, Tommy's cousin, whether or not they were really cousins or they just grew up together and considered themselves cousins, not quite brothers, I'm not really sure. But at that point, it's then given to Snake Eyes to make the decision um, whether or not he's going to execute Storm Shadow for Kenta. The, for Kenta. The Snake Eyes doesn't go through with it, and they fight their way out of this uh, Yakuza enclave, and Tommy offers him a chance to, to, to come home with him, to join the Arashikage Dojo, uh, which requires him to pass three tests, uh, the first of which being the Hard Master, and a bowl of water that mustn't be spilt. <laughs> right, yes. So he actually, the Hard Master... Who he calls the hard on master snake eyes calls him the hard on monster monster the hard on master <laughs> <laughs> I like hard that. on monster is a completely different thing kids like don't that. google it i like that i like that so there's three trials the first one is my favorite so the hard master goes to a table and he does what they always do in these action films is that he picks up you know bladed weapons and he picks up uh you know blunt force weapons and then Turns around, gives Snake Eyes a bit of a look, picks up two bowls, and he fills them with water. And you're thinking to yourself, what are these? How are these bowls going to uh, test Snake Eyes as far as um, this trial is concerned? But I mean, it, like I said, this is my favourite scene. I don't want to gush too much over it, oh. so I'll let I'll let you. Uh, Why? Because I'm impartial. Yeah, you're impartial. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> No, no, we love we love the passion. Um, so the the task is simple: get Hardmaster's bowl without spilling a single drop of water. If you fail four times, you're out. And we're told that the consequence of failing these trials is death. <laughs> right. Yeah. Why anyone would want to join this clan if chances are they would be killed without even entering the clan is beyond me. I guess it must just be that big of an honor. Um, there are words that reverberate in Snake Eyes' mind that Tommy actually told him about um, set aside your ego. Um, I forget what exactly they are, but he gets, after getting the tar kicked out of him and spilling his water three times, on the fourth attempt, he simply asks the Hard Master for his bowl in exchange for Snake Eyes' own, and the Hard Master acquiesces. <laughs> 
So <laughs> when all said and done, that was pretty easy. And uh, actually just more of a riddle than a martial arts test. Right. And I think that uh, that's why he chose the bowls. Is that he, he, he took a look one look at uh, Snake Eyes and thought, this guy, uh, he's got a lot of anger in him. Uh, he's got a vendetta, perhaps. And I think that he he fully expects him to fail again, but I don't I don't think that there is a death sentence at the end of every trial. I think it's just the final one that is you either pass it or you don't, and then if you don't, you die. I think the first two are probably just you're out. So at this point, Snake Eyes has the run of the place. He gets uh, given a sword by Tommy called the Morning Light, which is a reference to current G.I. Joe uh, comic book continuity, and also a series that I believe Larry Harmon did, which focused on Storm Shadow. Um, so the concept of the, the Morning Light is something that we have encountered before. It's not perhaps the part of the earliest bit of G.I. Joe continuity, but nice that, that Snake Eyes' sword has an origin. Um, because it is a significant thing. Like, we, we never really got uh, much information on why Snake Eyes suddenly started carrying a sword in the comic books. Uh, other than the fact that there was a new toy out, and that toy came with a sword. Um, the significance of that sword, exactly, was, was always a mystery. Here we get that mystery. But almost immediately after that, we learn that, in fact, Snake Eyes is a double agent. Yeah, so he he grabs one of those uh, motorbikes, e-bikes, <laughs> e-bikes, right? <laughs> and he and he takes off. I feel like he's probably got too much free rein. Anyway, he he takes off on his bike, and you're you're wondering what he's up to, because at this point you think that he's all in as far as his training is concerned. Uh, but yeah, he gets to one of those e Honda style uh, bathhouses, just uh, nothing but uh, steam and sweat. <laughs> and then out through the steam steps no other than uh, our boy, what's his name again? Kenta. Kent, that's it. In a loincloth. Done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. uh, yeah, and he's, yeah, he steps out and then it turns out that the, the whole scenario was to get Snake Eyes into the temple, into the castle. They call it a castle, don't they? Well, it's like a castle. The security at the Roshikage compound, while it looks ancient... Well, while the buildings look ancient, the security is ultra high-tech modern. Um, there's some great establishing shots that show off the sort of the beams on the rooftops, the surveillance. So yes, Snake Eyes is given free reign, but he's constantly under observation. Until he isn't. <laughs> Until he isn't. But yeah, so it turns out he's, he's working for uh, the baddies. Yeah. He was supposed to infiltrate them. He was supposed to spare Tommy's life. Right. And, and use that as a bargaining chip to win... Tommy's favor and be taken in. So this is all according to plan. Turns out Kenta is after a stone called uh, something of the sun. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It's uh, something to do with the sun, the peace of the sun, the tears of the sun, the, the heat the of the sun, the shard of the sun. The mind stone? <laughs> okay, this is where things come off the rails ever so slightly. The Arashikage have a MacGuffin. That's all it needs to be. And this is something that Kenta wants. Uh, it has the properties of, I don't know, some kind of energy weapon, really. It can at... <laughs> and it seems like it goes off of mental control. Mm -hmm. 
you know, it takes, it looks like at first that it takes quite a lot of uh, mental focus, mental focus. Yeah. Until it doesn't, but you know, <laughs> it, uh, it definitely isn't something that you just point and shoot. Yeah. 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 So it's an ancient energy weapon stone. It almost doesn't matter. Um, what is very interesting to me at this point is we've got snake eyes, our titular character who is a turncoat his allegiance has always been with Kenta's. He's infiltrated the Orochikage Dojo under false pretenses and, and, and this orchestrated trust game with Storm Shadow, with Tommy. And it's all just been a ruse to get this artifact. And he's like, you need to hurry up, Kenta, because if I fail these trials, I'm dead. And Kenta's like, well, if you don't do this for me, you don't get your father's killer. So choice is yours begrudgingly snake eyes agrees to continue he does attempt to get the stone before the next trial uh i believe but he he must have certain uh elements to allow him to get through to the stone one of which is he needs to know where it is and second of all he needs uh is it blood specifically or is it just dna it's unclear. I mean, it, it, it becomes blood at that uh, at, at a later point. It's quite evident that it's 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 um, sort of a scanner that actually requires a bit of blood. But yes, Tommy um, spills the beans that the access to the stone is DNA. It's in his DNA. It's in the head of the Arashikage Dojo's DNA, uh, who incidentally is the granny, um, Arashi, uh, Tommy's grandmother. She's the head of the Arashikage and not the Hardmaster. Whoa, spoiler. So yes, that tidbit of information comes back a little bit later uh, to play some vital importance. But it seems like there's been a tip-off that Kenta is back in Japan because Tommy and Akiko, head of security in the Arashikage Dojo, um, go off in search of him. And Snake Eyes comes along. I guess he wants to see if he can intervene and still keep up um, his appearances. So I'm not sure if Akiko is a character from G.I. Joe previously, but if not, I feel like this was a moment where uh, Jinx would have been a perfect opportunity. It's strange to me that they didn't go with Jinx. There has got to be a good reason for that, because Akiko was not, as, a, as everyone well, as a lot of commentators suspected, a disposable character that would die before credits rolled. Uh, she lived, surprisingly. This film was full of surprises. Yeah. But by virtue of her living, it makes me wonder why couldn't she be Jinx? Mm -hmm. I guess Jinx should be a more junior character and Akiko... Unless she... Akiko becomes Jinx later on with a slight name change. Could be, could be. Possibly. Anyways, uh, it seems uh, Tommy and Akiko and Snake Eyes in tow manage to find Kento without too much difficulty. And they have a, a battle that rages in these tight, um, neon-lit uh, Tokyo back alleys. Fantastic. The scene oh, yeah. is set with an establisher. Um, a, a man walks down the alleyway in the rain. Uh, and eagle-eye viewers would know that man... Quite uh, immediately, it's none other than Mr. Larry Homer. To which we gave uh, uh, enthusiastic claps uh, <laughs> to the best of our abilities given the uh, surrounding. But it's we his, would... his Stan Lee moment. Yeah. 
uh, they finally didn't rob him of it. I almost wished it was more than just a token, uh, like, walk-by. Like, the man can speak. Give him a line. Give him something. Give him a moment. I don't know. It, it, it felt a little bit token because he was just on his own with no actual business, just walking past the camera to kind of give a wink to the audience like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm Larry Harmer. Yeah, I liked it. I thought that it wasn't overdone. Um, my suggestion was if you want to give him some impact to make him the father of Snake Eyes. Hmm. Um, but that would have, uh, as mentioned, uh, when I mentioned it, it was like, well, that takes a lot of uh, passionate acting. Uh, you got to sell it. The age may have been a factor to make it unbelievable. I thought Snake Eyes' father was particularly convincing, so... Uh, well, yeah, I don't want to subtract a role from someone who did a good job, but, I mean, other than that, what can you do? I mean, Stan Lee's cameos were deliberately tongue-in-cheek, wink to the camera, uh, you know, one-liners that only he could deliver. Well, I'm not sure what uh, Larry Harmer could have done that would have been anything better than him walking through the streets uh, with a uh, umbrella. <laughs> Maybe that's all it needed to be. Anyways, the inevitable battle ensues with some interesting instances where Snake Eyes needs to kind of skirt the action in order to not firstly give away his true allegiance and, and give the game away to Tommy and Akiko, but also to not kill Kenta's operatives indiscriminately. So there, there was an interesting balancing game being done there. Um, I don't know how believable that was because he, <laughs> he brings down a tower which basically just cuts it just cuts off Akiko. Yeah, and that's it. Uh, he Storm Shadow, if uh, he wasn't otherwise incapacitated, could have continued that fight. It didn't really necessarily break up a fight. It just stopped one person from getting to the other, uh, and definitely didn't stop Snake Eyes from jumping over there either. If he wanted it to be believable that he was on one side, but. Uh, it did its job, I guess, as far as the, um, you know, the script called for it. And it's at this point that we discover what Kent is up to in Tokyo. Right. The, ever being the arms dealer, he's now allied himself with Cobra Command. Uh, as evidenced by the fact that all the weapons crates that he had been smuggling bear the Cobra sigil. Oh, yeah. Thinking about that now, that's perhaps a little bit too obvious. It yeah, it definitely is. I mean, it's on the inside of the crate, at least. So, <laughs> you know, if you're going to put your symbol somewhere, at least put it on the inside of the crate. But I don't know. Like, it's uh, it's one of those moments that is definitely for the audience because as the audience member, I looked at it and I was like, ah, Cobra. Uh, and it was like, you know, it was like a little a little flame of, of excitement just went up ever so briefly. Uh, yeah, it's a little bit uh, tongue-in-cheek, but uh, I think at that point my tongue was firmly in my cheek enough to uh, <laughs> enjoy it for what it was. Yep. And with Cobra now um, in the mix, the Arashikage, Tommy um, decides it's time to call in G.I. Joe. Right. Clearly this speaks to some earlier af affiliation between the Arashikage and G.I. Joe. It seems like... They in... never actually mention G.I. Joe. They oh, always wow. refer to it as the Joes. The Joes. Very good. Okay. Um, I mean, we have no idea what the origin of the term Joe is at no. this point. Uh, I know in Rise of Cobra, they, they played it off as a big old acronym. Joint Operations Entity. Well, okay. Global cool. Initiative Joint Operations Entity, if memory serves. 
But anyways, we, we don't get the explanation this time. We just hear that it's time to call in the Joes. And they're the good guys. And they seem to be represented by one individual. Like, G.I. Joe saw fit to only send one woman, mm. Scarlet, Major O'Hara. Well, so they, they actually contact Scarlet directly. And as it turns out, Scarlet was already on her way there because she's following in, uh, on the trail of the Baroness. So they, that sort of aligns itself. So she's already, she, her first interaction, I believe, is at the airport. Mm-hmm. Where she then she has gets to jumped. She gets jumped in the bathroom by uh, three large goons, and at this point, who I think actually have cobra lapel pins. They do. Yes. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it, it's it's a small small detail, and I can only imagine there's a cobra symbol on them because they never actually show it in close up. That would perhaps maybe they had a few close ups of it, and they decided to leave that on the cutting room floor because, like, nah, that's naff. But we could see these studs. On their lapels. And I always assume that whenever you've got a, a, a detail like that, it can't be for nothing. Right. Uh, we're not sure. I don't think... Is Cobra... Cobra isn't exactly a well-known organization to... Um, to the world. To the world at this point, no. Um, Maybe. Only... I don't know. It's, it's a good question. I mean, it, perhaps it's similar to the Yakuza. Like, everyone has an awareness that this thing exists. But right. no one knows the members. They kind of walk amongst us. Right. Yeah, I mean, possibly. So the scene, the scene plays out where um, she's, she's in the middle of a video call with Tommy. Uh, and then the fight ensues in the bathroom. And uh, it, it, to me, it felt like a Black Widow moment. <laughs> it, it felt like early, early Black Widow. The fight choreography did not reflect how a rather life woman can take down four, maybe even more, like, heavy-set men. Like, Scarlet needed perhaps some more serious, like, almost balletic athleticism. Right, To get yeah. the jump on those guys, but she was, she was just beating them with clubs. She didn't, she didn't break a sweat. She wasn't uh, deep of breath. <laughs> At one point, a guy's going for his silenced pistol on the ground and she steps on his fingers. Yeah. And I, I think I laughed at that point and, and joked with you that like a woman as light as that stepping on my fingers, I kind of would not let out that kind of scream. No, it would be an annoyed grunt more than anything. <laughs> <laughs> this guy was, yeah. It definitely couldn't was... stop you from grabbing your gun. <laughs> yeah, just throw, throw her off. Gunner down. But anyways, suspend your disbelief that Major O'Hara is a serious badass and had these Major. guys mm. licked. Yes, Scarlet was a corporal initially in G.I. Joe. Um, they've up to a rank, which is something that I thought probably should have always, always been the case. Like, Scarlet was always part of G.I. Joe's, like, top cadre. She was always in the intelligence gathering, like, cabal of G.I. Joe. So... For her to have to salute shipwreck seems absurd to me. But hey, it's the Joes. They do their own thing. I don't know. Something also about Samara Weaving's casting that irked me slightly, and this isn't a fault on the actress. It's the fact that you've cast someone who is very easy on the eye, great, but quite a young woman. Yes. And and for Scarlet to be as distinguished as she is... I would want someone in their early to mid-30s. She doesn't strike me as that age at all. Mid-20s at the max. 
Yeah, she, uh, yeah, she just doesn't pull off the look of someone that's seen battle, that's seen war. And even though mostly she's into it for the intelligent side of things, she'd still, I don't know, she needs to have more mileage on her. <laughs> <laughs> A little bit more weathered. A little but bit yeah, more weathered, Like yeah. I say, easy on the eye and she certainly looks great, both in Mufti and in her uniform later on. Damn it, man. All of a sudden, I wish they were four-inch uh, action figures for this line. Yeah, it's unfortunate that they don't. But the... I guess... I didn't hate Scarlet. I didn't hate her character. But that was the one moment where I felt like they were shoehorning in something to connect it to the next one. She, there was one moment where she turns up at the castle, without getting too far ahead of myself, she turns up at the castle and says, Oh, the party started without me. Or something to that effect. I'm like, really? And a one-liner? <laughs> Who are you saying this to? Oh, jeez. felt like another another uh, Scarlett Johansson's uh, Black Widow moment with the unnecessary uh, one-liners. Anyway, back to it. So they're, they're, they caught on to the fact that Scarlett is already on her way, um, which is why I guess they only have one Joe to come and give them a hand because she was already going to be there anyway uh, for the Baroness. <laughs> Though... I'd, I'd, there's a point later where she um, gets heli dropped at the Arashikage. Is that the only time we see a helicopter? Compound. I think it is. We don't see a helicopter. Well, this, is, yeah. this is how neat and tidy the budget must have been on this film because they didn't have to. We hear a helicopter and we see a rope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which which is bizarre to me because you know like who flew the helicopter? Yeah. Who's dropping her in? <laughs> is there no other infrastructure that can be brought to bear? Um, you know there are some holes in logic that like if Cobra wanted the shard this MacGuffin surely they could have taken it by force of arms and this has always been an ongoing concern that the Rashikage Dojo's greatest asset was always secrecy and once you know where it is you can by force of arms just take it but anyways I'm enjoying the fact that the the scale of this is still quite small we now have a scene where Snake Eyes confronts Kento again, saying, "Who? what is Cobra? And this alters the deal. I never said anything about joining terrorist group and, and doing this for Cobra, uh, which is odd because, I mean, you know, you're going to get in bed with the Yakuza who are, a, you know, they're a criminal gang. Um, Cobra's just perhaps one step up from that. Anyways, Baroness makes her appearance. Ursula Cabrera, um, magnificent. Yeah, I, I saw a lot of people saying that she would, uh, wouldn't be able to carry the role. Uh, she didn't have the look. But I think once she stepped out, I believed it. She's got the look. She's got the voice. She's feisty. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. I mean, if your point of reference is Sienna Miller, who I never bought as right, villainous, yeah. she never seemed villainous enough. And, you know, as it turned out, she wasn't. She was literally just working yeah. under brainwashing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's weak source. Like, Ursula's performance is evil. Yeah. She's wicked. There are some moments later on that undermine that. Until they don't. <laughs> <laughs> Being coy, are we? Anyways, turns out Baroness ups the ante. She's got live footage of Snake Eye's father's killer. She's got him in her custody. And she's like, if you steal the MacGuffin for us, you can have him. If not, we're going to let him go. 
So that is the final straw, and Snake Eyes undertakes this dastardly mission. Of course, he also has to pass two more trials. That's right. I was wondering if you were going to skip over those. Let's <laughs> come back to that. So the second trial, I think the second trial was probably the worst of the three for me. It basically had Snake Eyes and the Blind Master uh, out in the forest, and the Blind Master produces this glowing orb and now for me this was the first moment that i didn't believe what i was seeing I, i'd seen some fantastical martial arts i'd seen some great action i'd seen some wall scaling and you know part of a martial arts movie is that it doesn't always have to be believable but this one particularly made me feel a little disconnected so the orb um he follows it down a path uh to where it comes to a tree that is surrounded by these orbs. What is that orb? Doesn't matter. The orb wasn't a thing in the end anyway. <laughs> <laughs> then there's this bright light um, further past that tree. So he follows that light. Snake Eyes follows the light and comes face to face with the burning. Well, it comes, it comes, he's back in time essentially. And he's looking at the burning house that his father had just previously died in. And he comes face to face with the killer steps out to confront the killer and is shot and then that happens a couple more times in very quick succession where he stands up gets shot stands up gets shot and then he stops for a second and he's like ad admits to himself that um you know there was nothing that he could have done and he says out into the wind that he's sorry and then his father appears before him and says you were just a child it wasn't your fault and then now this broke the movie for you yeah. momentarily well yeah um, i just feel like during during that moment he he sees his father he makes peace with his father spiritually and then um i think you see his father then from a distance ascending some stairs mm. and then he, into the darkness and then he's gone was that his father walking up yes stairs? yes right so the problem i had with that scene oh and then after that he sort of wakes up in front of the uh, blind master and for me i was like how did that happen? How did that happen? What was, how did that, how did that even happen? If they were sitting around sipping, you know, like a peyote or something, mm -hmm. uh, and, and it was like a mind within his mind, uh, you know, something that was, um, a, a chemical reaction that allowed him to have a spiritual connection. I would have believed that more than him just walking blindly into the forest to have a, um, I don't know, a spiritual journey. Look, I, I don't think that this was literally happening in any way, shape, or form. And I don't think either that uh, the hard master or the blind master needed to administer some kind of hallucinogenic to get Snake Eyes to reveal his dark past. There are a few seeds planted earlier that the blind master can see your soul. Uh, that he has some kind of mystical powers. He has and sight so, beyond sight. Sight, well, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Eyes of the hawk. Hawk, mm. hawk. Um, but what I took that moment to be was the second um, the, the, the blind master opened his palm and this kind of magical orb lifted out of it was a kind of post-hypnotic suggestion being, being placed upon Snake Eyes. Like, they spoke about the Arashikage mindset. They never demonstrated how it is administered, but... That was another little 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 nugget placed uh, early on in the script um, that these are powers uh, mm. that 
that the blind master has. That's how he perceives the world. He sees into you. Um, and so, like, this wasn't happening literally in any sense. This was, this was hypnosis. This is the Arashi Kage mindset. A trance-like state. Well, if he was able to put snake eyes in a hypnosis or trance-like state without uh, any anything else other than his willpower, then I definitely wasn't picking up on that. Well, it's Peter Mensa's delicious vocal tones kind of hypnotized me as well (laughs) maybe that's what it was (laughs) anyways uh that was the second trial um perhaps the least egregious or the the second least egregious of the three because the third trial holy hell my friends if the film wasn't broken by this point um for a lot of us this moment would have broken it and to my to my great regrets i i also kind of was like oh geez really but then I went with it, and there was a very specific moment where it won me over. Mm-hmm. Can you guess? Um, well, I've got one, too, uh, for that moment where I went from hating it to loving it. Mm. Um, Set the scenes, Ez. So, essentially, he's brought to a hole in the ground. Out in the woods, there's a big hole in the ground. And he's told that he needs to uh, ascend... Descend, descend, <laughs> descend into this hole and press a tile, and the tile has the symbol of the Arashikage. Um, and then when he does that, am I saying that right? Mm, very good. Perfect. So when he does that, he's told that he needs to uh, push the tile, and when he does, uh, his fate will be revealed. I used to say Arashikage. Okay. Arshi Cage. Arshi. Arshi Cage. Arshi Cage. Uh, well, if, I mean, if you've only ever read it, I mean, you make up your own. There you go. Mm. And Larry Holman himself is quoted as saying, don't criticize someone's pronunciation because it means that they learnt through reading. That's right. Any hooch. Snake Eyes presses the tile and it releases... It, well, at first it releases one spectacular anaconda. If you've ever seen the movie Anaconda, this anaconda has got that one beat. <laughs> This one is one gigantic anaconda. And what beats one gigantic anaconda? It's three giant anacondas. Now, from what I could tell, there was a black one, an albino one, and one that kind of just looked like a regular anaconda. And the words of wisdom Akiko administers while Snake Eyes, or just before Snake Eyes is about to descend into this fate, um, is something along the lines of, like, you need to... Uh, set aside your 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 hate or your vengeance. I don't know. Am I misremembering? Well, yeah, can't. I mean, it's it's hard to remember exactly what the because they all sort of sound the same. Like I, I almost want to say that the ego line was in there too. Yeah. Uh, put aside your ego, but that was also in the in the other one. But I do know that it the the snakes basically they they look in you and they see if you have uh, ulterior motives. Basically, if you're not pure of heart, they're gonna tell, and. I don't know. For some reason, I thought that each snake was going to be a different um, savior. If you had, uh, if you were pure of heart, I thought the white one was going to, you know, ascend it back out of the out of the hole. Oh, okay. Um, but you know, <laughs> depending depending on which snake was taking a liking to you, it would depend on on where you sat. To be honest, that would be a little bit too twee. Well, if the, yeah. If the possibly. snake actually, in, instead of like wolfing you down. As yeah. a hungry, gigantic anaconda would do, um, would <laughs> do you think snake in a hole is a little bit too uh, <laughs> on the nose? There's, a, there's an anaconda in this hole. 
Anyways, I'm glad he so, wasn't hoisted out by the white snake. Well, I'm glad he wasn't either. But I mean, so for so at that point, for me, it, it got at this point, it's like pretty fantastical. All right, and I had a decision to make. <laughs> so either <laughs> either I was going to accept that there were three giant anacondas in this pit that just lived in this pit for some reason. And I'd already sort of poo-pooed all over the second trial. <laughs> so I was like, all right, giant pythons. But then something hit me. I had a flashback from back when I was younger. And I used to just casually watch on, um, I think it used to be on the SBS channel, where you would get just random ninja or Japanese fighting or even, even the Japanese ghost story. Um, and I don't, I could not pinpoint one um, old Japanese movie that didn't have some sort of fantastical element in it. Mm. And if I was going to sit there and watch a very heavy Japanese-themed G.I. Joe movie and neglect what had come before... The dragon. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. It was, it was, a, it was Iron Fist. You know, go into the cave of Kunlu, of what's his name, Shao Lao, the Undying. Right. Plunge your hands into the cauldron, steal his heart. So it was a very yes. Yeah, so you've got that. You've got that superhero element to it. So is that that's where you decided you were going to be good on this scene? Is that you put a connection to Iron Fist? No, no. Right, so scene. that wasn't my thing either. Oh, go ahead. So, uh, so it was basically I couldn't, I could not come up in my own mind where I'd ever watched a Japanese movie, whether it just be straight up fighting that didn't at least have some sort of mystical element to it. So I was like, you know what? This is okay. <laughs> I need to remind you that there are three mystical elements at play right now. The stone, <laughs> Peter Mensa, the blind masters, right. hallucinogenics, and now the right. giant anacondas. Well, that's what I mean though. Cause I'd, I'd already, I'd already sort of, um, the orb thing lost me. The flashback scene lost me, particularly because I thought that the first trial was so grounded and yet so impactful um, that the second one lost me. And then by the time the third one came out, I could have easily just been given up on the movie at that point. Mm -hmm. But I decided to look at it. I, I spun it around and I was like, okay, this is, yeah, this is a G.I. Joe movie. Sure, this is a Snake Eyes movie. But this is also a Japanese fighting movie. Yeah. And they have those elements. And if I'm going to enjoy this for what that is, then I need to accept that those elements are there. And so I got off my high horse. <laughs> I sat back down in my cinema seat and I enjoyed the scene until I didn't. <laughs> when was that? <laughs> when he's, he, he, he basically fails in, in that trial, right? He is going to be consumed by this snake. And then what's her name again? Akiko. Akiko comes down and saves the day now these two had been sparring all this time they definitely didn't seem like they had each other's backs there was nothing to show that these two had a connection at all and then she's risking who she herself said was her family that she'd never had before to go down swing down and save snake eyes from the trial that he was meant to either survive or perish in one that she has survived herself mm -hmm. so she gave up Almost, almost gave up everything that she'd ever believed in for one stranger who she had been telling everybody else was not to be trusted. And that just seemed like a little bit too much. I think you engaged with that scene a lot more intellectually than I did. I was, I was like, oh, <laughs> this is stupid. Giant snakes? Come on. 
And then when I I got locked back in by the most awesome jump scare I've gotten. In oh, a long we time. both jumped. <laughs> <laughs> I did not. I don't know. Like yeah, yeah. Okay, that jumps. That jump scare. Because Snake Eyes, he he's channeling himself. He's calming yeah. himself. He's, he's he's setting aside his his thirst for vengeance or trying to. And the snakes are subsiding. They're kind of retreating. They're like, mm, you pass the test. But all of a sudden, this bastard yeah. comes at you like right literally at comes screen, at yeah. the audience I'm grateful that this is in the 3D production I'm so happy that that, that bullshit has had its day um, if my popcorn box was full I would have lost it it yeah. was yeah and all of a sudden Snake Eyes is having to fight three giant anacondas and I'm like shit yeah mm-hmm. I, I'm 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 on board with this this is fun and then if, you know as you say Akiko saves the day she kind of had to like she you cannot defeat those snakes. Um, certainly not unarmed. Snake Eyes went in there with nothing but himself. So it was like... It was the Empire Strikes Back failure in the cave, man. Mm. Like, Akiko had to intervene. Otherwise, this man would, would die. So, you know, I guess... I guess... You're always telling new recruits that the consequence of failure of the trials is death. But, like... The Arashikage aren't that bloodthirsty. Like... In that moment, Akiko knew that she could save this man's life, and she chose to, even if it meant him washing out of the Arashikage and being being sent packing. So that ultimately happens. Uh, he's he's sent on his way because he still holds this quest for vengeance in his heart. Did you think he was going to fail the third test? No. Yeah, I thought he was going to. I thought he was going to pass it, and then he was going to be a fully fledged member. Zing! Mm. So he's actually given his marching orders. He's he's sent packing. Uh, he even hands in the morning light to Tommy, and Tommy says, keep it. At but, which point, yeah. Snake Eyes, for some reason? I think because because Tommy thought of him as his brother, and he had a life debt, he did something that would have solidified both those things. Is that he offered his own, he, he cut himself with his blade, and offered his open palm to Tommy to reach out to, as to say, if we can't be brothers here we could be blood brothers. Yeah, and And I I owe you my life, and this is a blood debt. Correct. So you, Tommy, are released of your life debt to me for saving your life against Kenta in the start of the film. Um, And this is me, I suppose, pledging myself to you, even though I can't be in the Arashikage. But of course, this is a very surreptitious way for Snake Eyes to get Tommy's blood. Mm -hmm. So Tommy also... Cuts himself on the blade, on on uh, Snake Eye's sword, and then and then, ha ha! I got you. I mean, that is a moment that that like I think the audience feels some level of reward. It's like, wow, Snake Eyes is really duplicitous. Snake Eyes also has a hanky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. He wipes down the blade that now has both his blood and Tommy's blood uh, with this very um, convenient hanky. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Look, it was all premeditated, so yeah, that's how you hand wave the convenience of the hanky, but like, yeah, it was a bit of an odd moment for for Snake Eyes to produce this rag. And it wasn't just like a white handkerchief, it had 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 designs on it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, no, that would have been really funny if it's like um like toilet roll that has like right. <laughs> little pu- little puppies and like <laughs> cherubic babies, <laughs> cupids. 
Yeah, <laughs> I would have believed that more. Like he went to go get something quickly. <laughs> Anyways, later at night, Snake Eyes sneaks in, uses the blood, steals the stone. Now, now, I just want to, oh, I want to point out something here before we do. Snake Eyes is able to out ninja the ninjas on just, several occasions. He's seen all their tricks at that point, but they are still fully trained ninjas. But now he, he, you see Storm Shadow go in, and you see him operate it like how how you get to this gem he pushes an eye of the dragon out comes out this panel and then i guess he must prick his own finger and push it against the panel because he puts blood on it and there's no needle on the panel it's just like a glass panel that that picks up uh his dna and the only four people that could do it uh like you said were the uh the grandmother tommy the hard master and the blind master so uh, they they show how it opens and then he goes, all right, it's in there and it's safe. I don't think that Snake Eyes was able to see all of that because when he does get in there, he sort of like fumbles around to try and figure it out for a second. Mm. And then, yeah, quite easily just slaps a uh, blood-soaked hanky onto the glass panel and that's enough to open it. Has a little throwdown with Akiko and quite handily defeats her this time. There is a lot of male-on-female violence, if I do say so myself. This film mm. is not afraid of male characters putting the smackdown on their female counterparts. But there are at least two nutshots. <laughs> and, and one pussy shot. There is that one too. <laughs> Baroness gets it square in the baby factory. Doesn't she? Yeah, I think Scarlet administers that one. Oh no! Oh jeez. Do, uh, do they? I don't think they tussle. I don't think Scarlet and um... oh Kenta. Kenta's yeah. the one who 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 gets Baroness right in the badge. That's a that's a rewatch. <laughs> damn! 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 We'll check that out on the rewatch. Yep. <laughs> Worth the price. If of you've seen it, then you hit, us, hit us with the timestamp for when that <laughs> happened. <Yeah. laughs> Anywho, Snake Eyes delivers this MacGuffin to Kenta and. Baroness. Kenta handily um, demonstrates its power by incinerating one of his own guys. Mm -hmm. Great. He's already proficient with it. But then again, I suppose he's ex Arashikage. I guess it's in the training manual how to use the tear of, of the sun or whatever. Whatever it's called. But they are told never to use it. They're only to protect it. Mm -hmm. So he obviously has gone against... He's already been outcast anyway, so he's going to... It looks like when he first uses it that it takes a lot of mental power to do it and it's not like a laser beam comes out of it or anything it's mm. literally just uh, i guess whatever he's focusing on feels the effects of that gem and you know what i'm in favor because if it meant there was less computer generated imagery mm. in this film yeah and that it was more practical and in camera great and also actual seemed... pyrotechnics fantastic it, it had it had properties to it that seemed to suit the story at times because at one point it's a force field if you're holding it uh and it also look the less that's said about the macguffin the better it's a macguffin yeah exactly. don't worry about it yeah it's the, the thing that is of vital importance to everyone but the audience anyways in trade for snake eyes's loyalty he is not double crossed i was fully expecting mm. them to say okay well done my servant uh now you get your reward bang 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 no instead he's... wait a minute just hold up one sec oh. before you make this reveal this is where i came back to the second trial 
right? So he walks into this, uh, it's a shanty, but it looks all right. Um, he walks in there and there's an individual with a mask over his face, like a, like a sack over his face. You don't know who it is. And I was thinking to myself, what if he's still in that second trial? <laughs> what Ooh, if he man. pulls off this, this, this mask and it's the reveal like an Empire Strikes Back where it's him looking at himself and then he's, and then he's out of the second trial and it's like, you failed. Like he did all of that in the trial. I'm glad it wasn't that. I'm honestly super bloody stoked that it wasn't that because that would have been awful. But I had a moment there where I was like, oh God, that's him sitting in that chair. But it wasn't Snake Eyes sitting in that chair in some sort of mental Yoda-esque <laughs> Dago Bar dream state. Dream state yeah. It was... The these... killer. Mm. The bad guys kept their word. They offered up the killer of Snake Eyes' father on a plate and left him alone with Snake Eyes to do with what he will. Take his life, torture him, anything really. The bad guys scram and Snake Eyes is left alone. And... As is the hero's journey, he opts not to take vengeance. You think he's going to... Spares this guy's life. Because it turns out this guy is actually, or he was, employed by Cobra to kill Snake Eyes' father. So I guess, at the end of the day, it's a bit of a hollow hollow murder. I mean, ultimately it's the Cobra overlords that that ordered this killer to kill Snake Eyes' father. So what would killing the middleman ultimately achieve... If not just just simple vengeance. So very early on, uh, we skipped over it a little bit. But when Snake Eyes refuses to kill Tommy, he's asked why. He says, "I'm not a killer," which I guess also is a in reference to why he doesn't kill this killer. Is because he doesn't want to be a killer. But there are several moments in this movie where he literally kills people. It's like a Batman moment where Batman's like, I don't kill people. And then he literally does. So he's, it, there's, there's a little bit of that into it. But they also, between Tommy and Snake Eyes, say to them, to each other, that when they looked into each other's eyes, they saw honor. I think was the word they used, honor. Rings a bell. Yeah. Anyway, so he doesn't kill him, even though, you know, he's already probably killed a few people by this stage. In fact, not only does he not kill him but he lets him go cuts his change he could have just walked out with impunity yeah yeah but i think at that point snake eyes had realized the the enormity of his mistake that he gave this weapon to the very people that arranged the hit Mm. on his father so now his course is clear he needs to right this wrong so he he's being chased by kiko and storm shadow who are obviously after him for the stone and he's also being shadowed by Cobra. I assume it's Cobra and not the Yakuza at that point. I do. Well, it's hard to really tell, but I believe mm. at this point... Bad, bad guys in SUVs and bikes. I believe they're a bit of both at this point because they've teamed up. So, once Tommy and Akiko have, have um, Snake Eyes firmly in their sights, and this happens on a motorway, on bikes, they ride up to him and try and, and kill him. Snake Eyes avoids their sword slashes and instead tries to take out the the baddies that are tailing them. And then we have a very, in my opinion, unnecessary overdub. This is something that was clearly added in post where Kiko in voiceover says, he's trying to protect us from from the others. Like, he, he's not trying to kill oh, us. Yeah. He's trying to kill the like, people. Like, did you see that? 
He's, he's on our side. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, that was unnecessarily um, trying to clarify it for the audience, I think. We didn't. We didn't need to have have it painted quite so. No, vividly. I think. I guess. I guess that was the moment where they were trying to justify why they would go back and help him too. Like so, they're telling us that they've recognised that that's what he's doing. How do you rate the combats on the uh, the car carrier? This was in a lot of the trailers. It's a great yeah. sequence, in my opinion. But uh, Zayas, you want to take a crack at it? So, uh, I thought it was. How do I put it? It was. It was action heavy. And it, it was it was almost um, so you've got uh, a, a car carrier with loaded with uh, sports cars, and uh, I made a comment that it was great for the driver to continue driving while all of this mayhem is happening. <laughs> uh, to which I responded, "What you expect him to pull over when there are guys clambering all over his truck with machine guns and swords?" Oh yeah, that's a good point though. That <laughs> is a solid point. So there, so you got Snake Eyes up there, literally killing people at this point. Now he saved a life, but now he's killing all these other agents, whether they're Cobra or Yakuza. They probably are Yakuza. I don't think they were. Uh, I don't think Baroness had any uh, Cobra backup with her, which was silly. But so they're they're up there, and they're sort of they. I thought it was a really smooth transition when the Yakuza came out of their vehicles that were matching the speed to the truck and just sort of stepped out onto it. Uh, I was like, "Yep, okay, they know what they're doing." Uh, this is all happening on a sound stage. Yeah, I mean, yeah, clearly. But I thought it was at least, you know, it, it, if they jumped out and it was a bit clunky, you'd be like, uh, yeah, maybe more believable. But still, I liked it. But then uh, Snake Eyes not only has to worry about uh, the Yakuza, uh, he also has to worry about Storm Shadow, who no matter the fact that, you know, he's he's trying to help him now, he still wants to, to kill this guy. And I think he's got good reason to at this point. Snake, Storm Shadow has... More than enough reason to take this guy down. He's uh, now Storm Shadow has shown previously that he has a bit of a temper. Um, so there are at least two occasions where he sort of yells at the air and, and gets a bit frustrated. So you can see that this is one of those moments where he's he's got that look in his eyes where he is the shadow before the storm. Is what uh, Akiko. Akiko, thank you. I keep forgetting Akiko. <laughs> Akiko mentions not that. Jinx. No, not yeah, not Jinx. So. At this point, they've dispatched all of the uh, the the goons on the on the truck. Uh, they make a an uneasy alliance, not the first one that we're going to see, but they make an uneasy alliance and do what all good action movies do. And and they, uh, I think they do they reverse it or do they just drive off? They get in a vehicle and they and they drive <laughs> off. <laughs> I think they reverse it off the back of the car carrier, off the top level. I think right, yeah, yeah. And, and, and guess what? It's another electronic car. Yeah, so, <laughs> so painfully obvious. Uh, yeah, electric car, I should say. Electronic car, jeez. You know, there's one scene where the electric motorcycle hits an electric car, and yet it all still goes up in flames. It's because it's loaded with pyro, bro. Gotta be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Those guys always overpack the, uh, <laughs> the, the the explosive charge. So Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow join forces to save the Orochikage Dojo, which is already under attack by Kento's forces and its indeterminate number of Cobra operatives. Like, there's very evidently, like, Cobra guys, um, which Scarlet dispatches on the outskirts of the Dojo. But uh, I think all the guys inside are Yakuza, if I'm not mistaken. It's unclear. Right, and then it gets to the point where... Uh, the, the, the fight is basically won at this point. And the Baroness says, right, you, you have 
You have what you wanted. I'll take the stone. And Kent is like, I don't think so. Bang. Crotch shot. Yeah, and why he picks and chooses who he's going to zap and who he isn't going to zap, I won't understand. Like, <laughs> this was a perfect opportunity to go, you know what? I don't need you. Mine meld this gem and disintegrate the Baroness. But he picks and chooses his moments, to his detriment sometimes. Yeah, look, it, it, it seemed to me like Baroness, while not a serious physical threat to Kenta in the scenes that they share was the threat of, like, Cobra... Like, if you harm me, Cobra comes down on you hard. Like, the the big bad is Cobra. Uh, you don't stand a chance, little fish. But in this scene, he, he kind of disregards that and backstabs her, which I guess we knew was coming. Oh, yeah. It was um, not, yeah I was not surprised. But then what happens next is unexpected because <laughs> Baroness and Scarlet join forces to take down Kenta. And that was Scarlet's idea. Mm. And Baroness goes along with it. Mm. Mutual survival, I guess, was was the, at stake there. But, I don't know, take it or leave it. That, that might strain one's believability a little bit. Because it was it was very cosy. And, and Baroness, instead of kind of seizing any kind of advantage from this, just decides to kind of disappear. Um, yeah, she has a fuck this moment and just <laughs> just goes, it's not worth it. But up until that point, she had many opportunities to shoot Scarlet in the back and doesn't. And I don't think that it, had she shot Scarlet in the back, I don't think that would have altered her position amongst the group one bit. I think that because the group ends up being Snake Eyes, who, who make it there with Storm Shadow, and, and Akiko, Akiko, Granny, Hardmaster, Blindmaster, Baroness, Scarlet. And as you say, Baroness could have easily dispatched Scarlet at some point and none, no one would be the wiser. But it would appear that the plot armor was like incredibly thick between those two. Because there's a point where they're both unloading full order at each other and just uh, nothing. Yeah, nothing. This is, uh, what, this is where the Lord. fight choreography was at its, at its weakest. They were um, shooting bullets at each other at such a close range... And nothing was hitting anything. I just... There was some weak-ass gun-foo happening. Like, yeah. I think Samara weaving at one point, like, sort of just basically kicks a bamboo structure and, like, kind of just bounces off it, um, which counts as, a, as an adequate dodge maneuver. Yeah, that was a bit much for me. I mean, <laughs> but at this point, I had already seen three giant anacondas. So I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> we can dodge bullets at this range. Gun-foo be damned. Uh... But at the end of the day, uh, after seeing some some interesting martial arts displays, particularly from Granny with uh, her fans, I've never seen fans being used other than with um, martial, uh, Mortal Kombat. What's the name of the character? Forget about it. Mortal Kombat character who uses fans. The fans. Uh, yeah. Um, anyways, so Granny uses fans to dispatch some guys and has a fight sequence with Kenta uh, that goes kind of her way. Ultimately, they defeat the big bad. And he disappears. He gets away. Not before Storm Shadow uh, pretty much... Uh, well, he, he gets the gem uh, through... They, they use fireworks to uh, get cut through the force field that this gem produces, <laughs> which makes him drop the gem. Storm Shadow picks it up. And now, we don't know this at the time. I know, I know it said that they're supposed to defend it, but it never says anywhere from my memory that you can't use it until after he uses it. 
Mm. Am I wrong in that, do you think? I don't remember. There might have been a line at some point that the Urashikage are guardians of this artifact, but they cannot use its destructive power. I think that's something that maybe... We don't even know. We don't even know. That it's a weapon, though, do we? Up until the point that he uses it as one. It's just supposed to be a, an artifact that is the imagery of their power or their honor or whatever. But it quite literally is a weapon. It That's... literally is a weapon. <laughs> so, yeah, and anyone can use it so long as they're holding it. Uh, but I, for some reason, I thought that it was going to consume him and he was going to burn himself up. But there's a point where instead of disintegrating the grandma he uses it as like a parlor trick and starts making fire come up left and right and behind <laughs> to trap her oh this is kenta yeah 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 yeah, yeah. and then uh, eventually when storm shadow gets it he uses it to try and disintegrate uh the kento kento yeah. kento yeah try to disintegrate him misses somehow misses uh, and misses an opportunity to destroy someone with an object that doesn't produce any sort of projectile uh but still somehow misses <laughs> uh, and then and then when they go to look for him they're like he's run away it's like how do you know he's run away how do you not just assume that he's been disintegrated <laughs> yeah 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 but he does get away and on his tail is snake eyes yep they find their way uh in front of the pit the anaconda pit and surely kenta knows exactly what's down there but snake eyes and him have a face-off in which snake eyes is is defeated uh, ostensibly, um, and actually gets stabbed mm. quite quite meatily in, in the shoulder, like the blade goes in. Um, but using some sleight of hand, he's attached a chain to Kenta's foot and uses it to drag him into the, the snake pit. Uh, and the snakes consume him. And Snake Eyes... Well, hang on. Whoa. He's decapitated one of the snakes. Yes. So there's only two snakes that remain. One of those snakes, after he's decapitated, one of them swallows him almost whole. Snake Eyes is attached to Kenta's body with this chain and gets dragged into it. And this is where something interesting happens, which confirms Snake Eyes' arc, really. Very, very uh, visibly, the snakes subside. Mm. They leave him be. He closes his eyes. And look, if for nothing else, this just serves the, you know, the purpose to illustrate the point that Snake Eyes has has set aside his quest for vengeance and become a good guy because he started out as a bad guy. Which I honestly, I did not see him going against the Arashikage coming at all. I did not see that happening. I didn't know how I felt about it at the time, but I definitely didn't think it was going to go down that way. And so by the end of it, when he's hanging there uh, by this chain uh, wrapped around his wrist, uh, it was a full circle moment where he's let go of not only did he let go of his hate <laughs> of uh, of the uh, of of Cobra that what they have done to him, but he's maybe even accepted that this this could very well be the end. He's done something noble, <laughs> and if this be the end, then then it is. And then uh, there's nothing I... nothing more noble than seeing your enemy vanquished by a giant. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, right. actually, yeah, you're right about that. Yeah. His okay. quest for vengeance has ended because he, no, he it has been he's, served. He, yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> so, he didn't learn a lesson at all. <laughs> he followed through with it. <laughs> Hang on a minute. Oh, he yeah. didn't change a bit. He's a good guy now because the anacondas told us so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But we end up with a scene where. Granny decides that because Storm Shadow used the artifact, he's now 
disinherited. He can no longer become head of the Oshikage, which right. is he's very incensed by. And like, this basically is the point at which he snaps. And he's like, to serve? That's all I ever get to do? Serve this family? Like, forget that. I'm done serving. I'm going to find find a new master. And tears off in search of that. We end up with a scene of him boarding a plane with the Baroness on board. And she offers him a new army. Mm. And you're like, I mean, tell us through, talk us through your, your thought process on that, Zazel. Well, look, because but- you thought it was a bit strange. You were like, wow, so he's going to run straight from having a... A hissy fit about being disinherited with the Arashikage straight into the arms of Cobra. Like, what's his logic there? Yeah, like up until this point, they they were they were enemies. There were no there was no alignment with Cobra on his side. He was firmly against them. I don't think up until the point where he fired, uh, well, used the the gem. I don't think he did anything wrong. He was he was pretty passionate in moments, and he and he had a um, a little bit of an emotional outburst from time to time. But I wholeheartedly believed that everything he did, he did for the betterment of his clan. Even bringing in Snake Eyes, even though that ended up being uh, momentarily the worst decision he could have made, (laughs) I still think he did it for the purpose of strengthening the clan for when he took over. That he saw someone that could be someone that was not only a friend, but a a close brother and someone that he could trust. Mm. And when that trust was broken, you felt that. But I didn't... And, and I feel like his he wasn't banished or anything. He d- left on his own accord. He was still part of the family. Mm. But I feel like his uh, his willingness to side with Cobra would just it would just felt unnatural and unearned and just uh, just a, a means to an end. And after I voiced that, uh, Stephen came in with a perfectly reasonable, logical way uh, that he would do that, which was. Storm Shadow joins Cobra, not because he wants an army or whatever Baroness is offering. I mean, his secret motivation is really to betray Cobra. He wants to go deep cover. He wants to get to the bottom of who Cobra Command is and who's pulling the strings because it's Cobra that is responsible ultimately for this attack on the Orochikage. So Storm Shadow is not betraying the Orochikage. He's... He's going chuckles on us, man. He's he's going method. He's having to infiltrate Cobra from the inside. Now now that his motivation is no longer to find the um, identity of the Hard Master's killer as it was in, in previous continuities, his motivation now is to undo Cobra Command from the inside. And Baroness has just offered him his in. It couldn't have happened more perfectly. Well, whether or not that happens, I guess what that does do is align Snake Eyes' mission of finding Storm Shadow to bring him back to the Arashi Kage. Yeah. Right? Cool. To bring them back to the clan, (laughs) it aligns with that, with his invite into G.I. Joe from Scarlet. Now, Scarlet uh, gives uh, Snake Eyes the intel that his father was actually a part of G.I. Joe. Yes. A folder called the Bright Sword Incident. Given to her... By Joe Colton. Joe Colton. I didn't think... I thought I was going to hear General Hawk, but Joe Colton was name-dropped. General G.I. Joe Colton. Yep. That was a surprise. But then, yeah, so the... So what was done in the file? She hands him the intel that he's been looking for practically his whole life. Uh, The 
the, the file on his father's killer death um, and gives us the information that actually his father, Snake Eyes' dad, was a G.I. Joe and he was assassinated by a Cobra uh, in this Bright Sword incident. Um, and, and then goes one further in saying that if ever he chose to, to join them, there'd be a place for him on the G.I. Joe team. I was kind of hoping that they would name drop some sort of um, code name that his father had used. Uh, but it turns out that his father was so undercover that not even G.I. Joe knew that he had Snake Eyes as his son. Hmm. Uh, which is why that they never really went looking for him. That's why nobody went looking for him. All right. Whew. I think that was Snake Eyes' G.I. Joe Origins. Zayz, can you rate it? I, I do. I rate it. It had it had moments in it that I felt potentially could have taken me out of the film. But if you if you look at it in a certain way, uh, if you come at it in a way that you know you're not uh, solidified in in the lore of, of the past, then I think you can have a good time with this movie. I think it's a good action movie. It's a good uh, Japanese fighting movie. It's got great action uh the story makes i mean from start to finish it's got an arc you know and it leaves it open to a sequel but if there were never a sequel you know what we've missed the introduction of snake eyes costume <laughs> such an afterthought it is though that's Lit why we didn't even bring it up literally they're like oh you want to you want to go after storm shadow and bring him back or go after tommy because he only <laughs> Tommy only adopts the name Storm Shadow once he joins Cobra. But I said this to you at the time. Doesn't law maintain that the, that the word Arashikage translates as Storm Shadow? Mm. So the, him making this, 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 this big moment of adopting the name Storm Shadow is a bit of a hollow moment because, you know, Storm Shadow was always the English translation of Arashikage. It's not like you've suddenly given birth to this new persona. It was always there. Anyways, sure. my so, point is, um, Snake Eyes just gets handed the, the costume, like, if you're going after Tommy, you're going to need this. Boom. Inexplicably, he's got this costume. And that's it. Roll credits. Well, it, it, it does have the symbol on it, which uh, it was a little bit weird because he didn't earn it. The Arashikage symbol. Yeah. Yeah, because did he fail the trials? He failed. Uh, yeah. He failed the trials. But yeah, they still have the symbol. Wait, wait, hang on. In the end, he succeeds in the snake pit. Yeah, but do, nobody gets a second chance at the snake pit. <laughs> you die in the snake pit. Someone, uh, that seems, doesn't count. It seems the, the rules of the Roshikage clan are flexible in points and, and very hard in other points. But Well, I mean, poor Storm Shadow by the end of it. I felt for Storm Shadow. Right, Absolutely. But whether, he has my sympathies as well. So I guess, uh, as far as rating it is concerned, for better or worse, if you subtract the G.I. Joe portion of this movie and you called it any other movie it would be a great movie it'd be a great action movie you cement that into the gi joe world you have a great introduction into that there's enough there to pull you into one a sequel it's not too on the nose uh except for that one limp yo joe but uh, uh, yeah i'll go see it again uh where does it situate itself in your favor in terms of the three live action films Oh boy, 
There were two other G.I. Joe live-action films. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> I think you just answered it's my question. It's not as good as G.I. Joe the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, no Sarge. That's Come right. If it, if it had Sergeant Slaughter in it. Oh, there's no after-credits stinger either. Well, there's, there's, after a few credits have rolled, you get the scene with Baroness approaching Storm Shadow in a plane... Um, offering him a job with Cobra and some very obvious Johnny Walker Black Label product placement. Mm. Yeah. But you can barely even call that a mid-credit. It's like a uh, 30 seconds into the graphic... Uh, Overload. Bam. Mm. Those credits were colourful. But yeah, don't sit through the uh, the rest of the credits unless you're interested to know all the hard men and women. Um, all, the, all the men and women that worked hard on this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Who may also have been hard. They may have, yeah. Hard hard on master. What do you, what do you rate it? Where do you put it? Oh, man. It, it is... I mean, hot take, everybody. This is the best uh, live-action G.I. Joe movie there ever has been. Uh, it put my mind at ease almost immediately with its tone because it sought to do more than just be action figures being clunked together that's Rise of Cobra, or a vehicle for a larger-than-life persona like Dwayne The Rock Johnson, as in Retaliation. This film built relationships and intricate uh, trust amongst characters and betrayals and then retribution and then redemption, ultimately. Like, there was scene work in this that I bought hook, line, and sinker. And that's very gratifying for me. It tells me that it was in the hands of a team of filmmakers, cast, crew, designers, producers, who actually cared to make a film that would would sit well with an adult audience. And and that was that was huge points in my in my book. The fact that it wasn't an effects laden, uh, huge stakes film is also great, because I've always believed that like particularly with an origin story, but like at any level of G.I. Joe, you can tell a more human and personal story and and make it compelling. It doesn't always have to be the end of the world hanging in the balance. Like the most interesting thing are characters. And I must say, this film remixes what we know to be the origin story of Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow and the Arusha Kage and G.I. Joe and Cobra, remixes them in a way that, look, take nothing away from Larry Harmer's original uh, work, this kept me guessing because I didn't go into it. Like, I didn't predict what was coming next. And that's a very, very refreshing notion to have as a lifelong G.I. Joe fan. I was like, wow, this film is actually surprising me. It's pulling some some punches, some, some sucker punches that I never saw coming. Like, what? Snake Eyes is betraying the Arashikage? This is huge. Snake Eyes is... He, he gets his start in his G.I. Joe career essentially working for Cobra. That's interesting. Oh, yeah. That hasn't been done before. So my litmus test of this was like, if Hollywood sees fit to rewrite the origin story of this compelling G.I. Joe character, the, the, the central character of the G.I. Joe mythology, they better have a damn good story to tell. And to my great relief... They did. There were a few fumbles, not going to lie. Moments where I was like, (laughs) anyone who is a hater or a doubter of this film will have plenty of ammunition at this point. But if you go in hating it, you can latch 
onto yeah, things. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as is true of any any fan film, really. But I went in just with zero expectation, and that is when you are pleasantly surprised. So I'm I'm on board, guys. Yo, Joe, everybody. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, no. Yo, yo, Joe. Yeah, just just before the team shot happens. Yo, Joe. Like, oh, okay. You had me at Joe. <laughs> Throw us a limp, yo, Joe, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Zays, let's wrap this show up, brother. Well, uh, yeah, first of all, I wanted to thank everybody... Uh, that jumped over from the G.I. Joeberg community to watch the Slaughterhouse Wrestling Championship happen live. The Sergeant Slaughter versus Nemesis Enforcer match. Uh, if you haven't seen it, the link will be in the description below. Check it out. Zazel opened his Playmotion account with an excellent story. And Love you, it. You might even hear a few familiar voices, which uh, it was very, very uh, appreciative of getting the, uh, the Joeberg team on board. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> you write you write a mean script, man. You had me saying some some res- wrestling terminology I ain't never said before. So yeah, definitely do uh, jump on over and, and watch that because the next one will be coming up. Uh, it'll be you know I won't ruin it for you. Check it out. Uh, wait till the end. Uh, just like every good Marvel movie, there's a stinger at the end. Keep an eye out for that. Uh, Ooh yeah. <laughs> But yeah, thank you to everyone that did tune, tune in on that one. I appreciate it. Sweet. Uh, and G.I. Joeberg, you can catch us anywhere. Uh, Podcatchers, YouTube, Instagram, Podbean, Facebook group. Hey, check that out too. And if you really love us, consider joining our Patreon. Link in the description below. But yes, to anyone who has checked out Snake Eyes, G.I. Joe Origins, uh, let us know what you think. Scroll down to the comments section and weigh in. If you think that we are way off on our appraisal of this film, let us know. I'd be interested to, to hash it out in the comments thread. Also, tell us which one was your favourite of the three trials. Was I wrong in thinking that the first one was the best one? <laughs> oh man, low-hanging fruit if you ask me. The other two were... <laughs> what? Anyways, uh, it's been a blast. Catch you guys next week with uh, another episode. Who knows what we might sink our teeth into. Hopefully Rob and Paul will find some way of seeing this film and we'll be able to get their opinions as well. But this has been at least Steven Zazel's review of the film. Um, and I think that's all we have to say about that. Yo Joe Berg, everybody. Yo Joe. No, wait. Yo Joe. <laughs> Just give it a limp, Yo Joe. <laughs> Berg. <laughs> Welcome to the slaughterhouse. Eddie's disease. <laughs>